Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. I love this time of year as we enter into fall. Anybody else a big fan of fall? Love it. Woohoo! Yes. You know, you just breathe in that crisp autumn air and you, it's jeans and hoodie and sweatshirt weather and the leaves are changing. It's just a great time of year. But may I remind you that uh, the comfort of fall will soon be replaced by the reality of winter. <laughs> and I don't know where you're joining online. Maybe you're in Florida, whatever. <laughs> we here in the Midwest, we know winter is coming and the temperatures are gonna plummet and the cold winds blow and the days will grow darker. Winter can be harsh and it can be hard. People can be harsher, and people can be harder. They can be colder than the deep snow, more biting than the winter winds, and leave our hearts frostbit with lingering hurt and pain. It's amazing how quickly someone can blow into our life and change a season of pleasantness into a season of pain. There was a man who had that happen to him. He was born blind. He was a beggar. And then Jesus came into his life and healed him. And there was a joy and a vibrancy that he had never experienced before. He was seeing as an adult man with his eyes for the very first time in his life. He could see white clouds upon a blue sky. He could see birds in flight swooping and soaring. He could see leaves dancing on trees in the wind. He'd never seen that before. He could see the sun by day. He could see the stars sparkle at night. He could see. It was a season of joy. God did a miracle in his life. And then his life seemingly fell apart. As these harsh winter winds blow in, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who would interrogate him twice. Who healed you? How do you see? Who would insult him and call him a liar and label him a sinner and and kick him out of the synagogue with great disrespect and scorn. He's abandoned by everybody just because Jesus heals him and does a miracle. And this mountaintop experience is followed by him being pushed off a cliff into the deepest valley of his life, all because... He spoke up for Jesus. You know, the world can be a very cold, harsh, hard place when we speak up for Jesus, when we live for Jesus, when we decide to follow Jesus. And the seasons of life can change quickly. We pick up the story of this man's life in John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9 as we go and make our way through the book of John preaching passage by passage. And in John chapter 9, we see the tail end of their abuse in verse 34. Pick it up with me in John 9, verse 34. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? 
He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've both seen him, and he is the one talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. We're going to learn three truths this morning from this passage. When the world is cold and harsh and hard, the first truth is that we need to remember that Jesus cares. I love this passage. Jesus has not been in this man's life since he's healed him. And Jesus hears what has happened and Jesus finds him. I want you to understand that Jesus cares for you as a person. He cares about your feelings. He cares about what has happened to you. He cares about the loneliness that you feel. He cares about the rejection that you have faced. Jesus cares when seemingly no one else in your life cares. I mean, no one cared for this guy. The people, they, they don't remember him. They don't listen to him. Back in verse 8 and 9, the neighbors were saying, he previously had seen him as a beggar. Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, he, this is he. And still others were saying, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the one, and nobody's listening to him. See, he's been forgotten by just about everyone who's passed him a thousand times, who saw him as a beggar every single day. They walked right past the guy day after day. They saw him as a beggar. They never saw him as a person. They don't even remember what the guy looks like. And maybe that's how you feel. You feel like people pass you every single day and they don't even know you. They don't know the real you. They don't care about you. They don't know you. Jesus does. He cares when people don't. He cares when the closest of relatives won't. Remember his parents that wouldn't even stand up for him? His parents were more interested in their social standing in the synagogue, in the temple, than they were for their own son that they had raised. Boy, I never want to do that to my own children. I always want them to know that I'm there. They were questioned by the religious authorities, his parents, in John 9, 21. But how he now sees, we, we don't know. Yes, they knew. Who opened his eyes? We don't know. Yes, they knew. Ask him. Ask our son. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. They would not even go to bat for their son. They would not even speak up for their son because they were concerned about being kicked out of the synagogue. Even when loved ones won't stand up for you, Jesus will and Jesus does. Psalm 27, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Even if your closest relatives abandon you, God will not. He'll take you up. He'll take you in. He'll carry you in his arms. See, Jesus cares when people don't, when relatives won't, and when those in positions of power don't. These religious leaders, they don't believe in him. They slander him. They condemn him. They ostracize him. They excommunicate him. And back to our verse 34, you were born entirely in sins, and you're teaching us, and they put him out. Can I just tell you something? Religious people can be really mean. Religious people can be really mean. And some of you have experienced that. And sadly, you've allowed it to turn you off to God. You've allowed it to turn you off to church. You know, it's, it's crazy. If my brother were to do something just so mean-spirited towards you, 
I hope you wouldn't hold it against me and my dad. If some Christian or some supposed Christian has treated you wickedly, why would you hold it against other Christians? And why would you hold it against their heavenly father, your father? Stop and think for a minute. And don't hold the, the wickedness or meanness of others against God and his house. Some of you just need to stop feeling sorry for yourself and deal with reality. But religious people can be mean, especially the legalistic ones, that want to hold on to their traditions like these legalists, hold on to their preferences, and hold everybody else to their standards, which are not even biblical standards. And by the way, some really legalistic, mean-spirited people, you don't do what they do, and you don't act like they act, they'll judge you and slander you and insult you and label you and gossip about you and ostracize you. What I love about Jesus is he's not intimidated by these people. And he is not afraid of these legalists. And neither should we be. See, Jesus cares when no one else does. And so draw near to Jesus because he understands. He knows what has happened to this man. He knows what has happened in your life. He knows what this guy is going through. He knows what you're going through. He knows. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 139, O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. He knows what's going on in that head of yours and mine. He knows the frustrations. He knows the confusion. He knows the worry and anxiety. He knows the pain. He knows. Verse 3, you scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all of my ways. God cares for you. God knows you. So draw near. Draw near in prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting how much? All. All of your worry, all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Stop holding it in. Stop holding on to the worry. Stop holding on to the anxiety. Stop talking to everybody else about it and start talking to God about it and start giving it to the Lord. Give it to him. Cast it on him. He can handle it. Lay it at the throne. Give it to him. And stop holding on to what's pain, causing so much pain in your life. Give it to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Draw near to him, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you read that? Did you see that? He sympathizes with you. He knows you. He understands you. He has mercy. Would you like mercy? He has mercy for you. He has grace. Do you need grace? He says, I have grace for you. He has help available. Do you want the help of God? Answer. He says, then come to me. I will give you mercy. I will give you grace and I will give you help. Jesus hears about the man in verse 35. Jesus finds the man. Why? Psalm 34, 18. Because the Lord is near to the brokenhearted 
and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so he goes in search of the man who spoke up for Jesus. He goes in search of the man and finds him who was not ashamed of Jesus. William Barclay said, Jesus is always true to the man who is true to him, so just be true to Jesus. No matter what people say to you, be true to Jesus. No matter how people treat you, be true to Jesus. No matter how they ostracize you, slander you, be true to Jesus. His comfort far outweighs the pain and rejection of others. So when the world is cold and harsh and hard, remember Jesus cares. Secondly, remember Jesus saves. Finding the man in verse 35, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? What would be the very first words you would say to this blind man? What would be the very first words? Notice Jesus' first words weren't, how's the eyesight? The first words weren't, can I take you out to lunch today? We'll get a falafel. His first words weren't, do you recognize my voice? His first words weren't, I heard about what the Pharisees did to you, and I know these people. They are totally, never mind, Jesus wouldn't say that. He doesn't say sorry about your parents not speaking up. Look at the very first words Jesus says. Do you believe in the Son of Man? It is the single most important question you could ever ask anyone. Not asking them about their health, not asking them about their job, about their family, not asking them about the weather or the Cubs or the Bears or your sports team, not asking them about their view on masks versus no masks, not asking them their view on vaccine versus no vaccine. He asks the most important question you could ever ask anyone. Do you believe? Do you believe? When is the last time you and I asked someone the most important question you could ever ask in their life? Honestly. When's the last time you asked a coworker, do you believe? Have you come to believe? When's the last time you asked a neighbor, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? When's the last time you asked a stranger? When's the last time you asked a relative? When is the last time you got away from questions that really don't matter for eternity's sake? And you started really digging deep like Jesus does. Because Jesus cares about the soul. Start caring about the souls of people for eternity. That's what's most important. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, it's a question of belief. It's a question of faith. This is not about the historicity of Jesus, if he was a historical figure or not. Have you placed your faith in the one alone who can save you? Belief means faith. Do you believe here today, online and in person? Do you believe in the one who cares for you? Do you believe in the one who can save you from your sins? Do you believe? Now, he uses an interesting phrase. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
This is Jesus' all-time favorite title for himself. He refers to himself 83 times in the Gospels as the Son of Man. 83 times! And 13 times there's references to this, this phrase in the Gospel of John alone. The title is taken from Daniel chapter 7. The prophecy concerning the coming kingdom and the coming Messiah. Daniel 7, 13. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days that is God the Father and was presented before him and to him the Son of Man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The one presented before God the Father. The one who will be given dominion, kingdom, and glory. Do you believe in the Son of Man who will reign over all kingdoms and all people will forever serve him? And may I add, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom that will never end. Come, Lord Jesus. I am tired of man-made kingdoms. How about you? Come, Lord Jesus. I am tired of fallen sinful rulers. How about you? Come, Lord Jesus, and rule over this planet for all of eternity, once and forever, cleaning up the mess we've made of it. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And it has a double meaning. Son of man meaning he is fully man. Made in my likeness and your likeness. Clothed with flesh and bone and hair and skin. He is the perfect representative of mankind. And he is sinless. And that's where he changes in a big way from you and me. It's a double meaning. He is fully man, but he is also fully God, as seen in Daniel chapter 7. He is co-equal, co-eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing. He is the perfect representative not only of man, but he is the perfect representative of God. And he presents himself as the son of man, and he presents himself as the object of saving faith. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Back in John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. You must believe in the Son of Man to be saved, to have eternal life. You must believe in Jesus as fully man and fully God to be saved. Do you notice Jesus takes the initiative in saving this man's soul? Jesus heard, and Jesus goes and finds him. We know Luke 19.10, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We also know that as God seeks us, God draws us. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The truth of Romans chapter 3 comes out at this time. None is righteous. Not one. There's no one who understands. None who seeks for God. No one seeks for God. God first must seek for us.
John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so if you are saved and you've come to faith, do you understand the Lord first came to you? That's how much you're cared and how much he loves you. And he draws us to himself. And if you've not come to faith yet, do you understand the Father is drawing you to the Son? He's drawing you to be saved. The man's reply, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Who is he? I'm willing to believe in the Messiah. I'm willing to believe in the Son of Man. I'm willing to place my faith in him. Who is he? Point him out. Where is he? And Jesus responds, you've both seen him with the new eyes I just gave you. And he is the one who is talking with you. Look at me and believe. I am the one who healed you. I am the son of man. Believe in me. And what does the man do? He comes to faith. Lord, I believe. And he worships him without hesitation. And so now he has been healed of physical sight and spiritual sight. He was blind physically. He sees. He was blind spiritually. He sees. Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Say it with me. Was blind, but now I see and I see. He could say it twice. Notice the progression of his spiritual sight. We see it throughout chapter 9. At first glance, Jesus was just a man. The neighbors who questioned him in verse 11 of John 9, he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. See, Jesus at first was just another man. He was a wonderful man. Ah, but he's much more than a man. Then he would be questioned by the Pharisees in verse 17. What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, well, he's a prophet. So now Jesus has graduated from man to prophet in this man's eyes. Prophet who brings God's message and does miraculous signs like Moses and Elijah and Elisha. Ah, but he's, he's much more than a man and he's much more than a prophet. He goes from believing he's a man to believing he's a prophet to believing he is God the son of man, and he worships him. His response, verse 35, do you believe in the son of man? He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Listen carefully. A man cannot save you from your sins. A prophet cannot save you from your sins. Only God can save you from your sins. And now he knows that Jesus is God. You in order to be saved, must recognize Jesus is more than a man, more than a prophet, but that he is God who became a man to die for you, to save you. Now, the progression is fascinating. You know, the better you get to know me, the less you'll probably like me. Because the better you get to know me, you see my weaknesses more and they're amplified and you see my faults and my foibles and and flaws up close. Isn't that what happens when we get married? I'm getting married. Oh my goodness, what a sinner you are. (laughs) Just like you, just like me. Isn't that amazing? See, the closer you get to know Jesus, the more you see his perfection, his holiness, And the more you grow in love with the Savior, 
and worship him and praise him. Get to know Jesus at a much deeper level. Some of you don't spend much time with Jesus. It's time you start spending more time with him. Prayer, and not just praying at dinner, but setting aside time to talk to the Lord every day. Reading his word, studying his life. Get to know your Savior. Some of us just run through life every day, all day long. We just fast, fast, slow down. Spend some time with the Savior. It's time to get to know him. Without hesitation, the man believes. Without hesitation, he worships. And Jesus accepts the man's worship, his adoration, because Jesus is God. He accepts worship as God. I want you to understand something. Belief always leads to worship. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. The natural response of belief is worship. See the connection. Believe in God for salvation, we worship him. Believe that God is good, we worship him. Believe that God is sovereign and in charge of this crazy world, we worship him. Believing that God answers prayer, we worship him. Believe that God has forgiven my sin, we worship him. Believing God is this creator of all things beautiful on this earth, we worship him. If I'm struggling in my worship, I'm struggling in my belief. If you're struggling to worship God, you're struggling somewhere to believe God. To believe that he really is there and that he really does care. To believe that he is sovereign and that he allowed that for a reason. See, if you're struggling to worship, you're struggling in your belief somewhere. You're struggling to believe that he knows what's best. You're struggling that he is good in the midst of tragedy. There's a clear connection here between belief and worship. And I want you to notice he worships in spite of everything that he's recently faced. In other words, I can still worship when people fail me and forget about me. And so can you. See, get your eyes off the people that fail you and forget about you and get them on the Lord. We can still worship when we feel abandoned by family, when religious haters attack us, when this world turns its back on us. This man is still worshiping. He's worshiping in the midst of everything. We don't need to feel affirmation and approval from others and feel valued from others. All we need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. That's all you need. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on him alone. Worship will forever be a struggle until our eyes are on him and him alone. Maybe that's why some of you couldn't even worship this morning as we sung. Because your eyes are on you and not the Lord. Your eyes are on some problem or some person. Eyes on Jesus. And let's worship. When the world is cold and harsh and hard, remember that Jesus cares and Jesus saves and that Jesus judges. So after this man believes, and after this man worships, Jesus changes topics. It's really interesting. Pick it up with me now in verse 39 of John chapter 9. Lord, I believe, and he worships him. Verse 39, Jesus said, 
For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Huh? Wait, what? We'll get there. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. What's going on here? This is an unexpected topic of judgment that the Lord raises up. Why? Let me tell you why. Because the Pharisees are eavesdropping on the conversation. It's not a conversation with just Jesus and the blind man who's been healed. The Pharisees are all around. And so Jesus says, let's talk about judgment. Since I've got these shallow, religious, hypocritical, legalistic people around me. And you may say, well, why does Jesus want to talk about judgment? And, and he says, for judgment I came into the world. I thought Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in John three seventeen, God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And in John 12, for I did not come to judge the world, Jesus said, but to save the world. We have a contradiction in the Bible. No, we do not. It is not contradictory, but complementary. It is two sides of the same coin. Verse 17 of John 3 is one side. God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18 is the other side. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. To reject God's mercy and grace and love and forgiveness is to flip the coin over and choose judgment and wrath of a holy God. See, you get to choose heads or tails. Do you want God's mercy and forgiveness and grace? Or do you want God's judgment? There's good news and there's bad news. I chose mercy because I dare not think that I can stand before a holy, holy, holy God and think that I could be good enough to get into his kingdom. I'm a depraved, wicked, rotten sinner in need of the grace of God. Anybody else out there like me? Okay. We've chosen mercy because we've been honest with ourselves that I need God and I need his mercy. I want to encourage you to choose the mercy of God this morning and dare not think you can stand before a holy God and say, I'm coming to heaven because I'm good enough. Because if you reject his mercy, you invite his judgment. As a matter of fact, Jesus is not only savior, he is judge. Back in John 5, for not even the father judges anyone, but he's given all judgment to the son. And in verse 27, he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. God, who became a man, will judge all of mankind. See, Jesus is not only savior, he is also judge and executioner. And sometimes we forget that. Jesus goes on and he says, some will finally see and some will be blind so that those who do not see may see. 
And that's like this blind man right now, case in point. He was healed physically and spiritually. Spiritual sight comes to the blind, okay? So that those who do not see may see. This man now sees, not only physically, but spiritually. When you know and you confess that you're blind and in need of help, then your eyes can be opened. God, I am wretched. I need you to save me. Eyes are opened. When we humbly confess that we're blind. Those who see will be blind. That those who see may become blind is the next thing. Now he's talking about the Pharisees who see in their estimation. And they have seen. They've seen a miracle and they've seen the Son of Man, the Messiah before their eyes and they've seen the Word of God and its truths all with their eyes, the Pharisees see, but they are still blind. Because when you see, everything is just fine with me, and when you see, it's, I'm better than others, and when you see that you don't need a help, you don't need Jesus' help, that you're just fine, then we are blinded by pride. We're blinded by self-deception. We're blinded by a self-righteousness. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. So when you see a man who thinks he sees, you see a man who is really blind. And that is the world in which we live. Do you realize every single day you're walking past blind people who think they see? You go to work with blind people who think they see. You live next to people, neighbors who are blind, but they think they see. You have relatives who are blind, but they think they see. And some of them are very religious blind people. Just like these people, they're very religious. More religious than you and I, by far. Even the religious people can be blind. And maybe that's you here today. Maybe you're very religious, but you're blind. You're blind to your depth of need of Jesus. Now the Pharisees speak up. This is very interesting. We're not blind too, are we? Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought they were in the middle of a conversation, just Jesus and the blind man. Now, now we see it's not just Jesus and this healed blind man. The Pharisees, again, here we go, eavesdropping in on the conversation. We don't know how many of them, but they're there. You know what this really tells me, though? Is that this blind man was not ashamed of Jesus at all. He didn't care if these people were all around. You know what he says? I believe in you. And he worships him in front of all of these Pharisees. He does not care what other people think. He believes in Jesus in front of all of them. He worships Jesus in front of all of them. Stop caring so much about what other people think about your spirituality. Stop it. What a powerful public testimony in front of others. Don't you dare be ashamed to name the name of the Son of Man and the Son of God. Don't you dare be ashamed of your Savior, who he is and what he's done for you in opening up your blind eyes and saving your soul. Worship him. The Pharisees question Jesus. We're not blind too, are we? You're not talking about us, are you? We're sure you're not. We're not the blind ones you're referring to, right? Their question expects a negative answer, and Jesus doesn't give them a negative answer. He says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. We see, you're, since you say we see, your sin remains. It's really interesting. Jesus raises this whole issue of sin out of nowhere. No, it's not out of nowhere. 
He's been waiting for the opportunity to talk about sin, to clarify it. Why? Because everybody's been talking about sin in John chapter 9, and everyone's been getting sin all wrong. You may say, well, where, has people been talk- where have they been talking about sin? The disciples in the first two verses, they walk by the blind man. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? What are you talking about? Later on in the passage, in verse 24, the Pharisees called Jesus a sinner. We know that this man is a sinner. They're gossiping and slandering Jesus behind his back, telling everybody else how bad a sinner Jesus is. And he's sinless. And he's perfect. And the Pharisees call the man a sinner. In verse 34 that we saw earlier, you were born entirely in your sins, and you're teaching us, and they kick him out. So the issue is sin. Jesus says, let's talk about sin. Your sin. Because you're blind. Stop Worrying about everybody else's sin. Take the log out of your own eye. Stop labeling people as sinners and labeling things as sin when they're not sin. Stop looking for sin under every one of your shallow traditions and shallow preferences that are not based on Scripture but that you judge other people by. Stop it and start looking in the mirror at our own sin. Start realizing we need help because of our sin. Start calling on the Son of Man to save us from our sin and to forgive us of our sin. He says, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. Jesus is saying, if you would just humble yourselves, if you would just confess your need, if you would just admit that you're blind, you'd have no sin. What does he mean? Because you'd be forgiven of your sin. You'd have no sin because you'd be forgiven of your sin. You have a disease and you won't admit it. You have a disease and you won't do anything about it. You have a disease and you refuse to go to the doctor then you're without hope and you will remain blind and you will be judged. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and let him open our spiritual eyes. When the world is cold and harsh and hard, remember these three truths, that Jesus cares, Jesus saves, and that Jesus judges. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed at home, online, as well as here in person. You're a believer in the Lord today. Would you talk to the Lord right now about getting to know him better, spending time with him? Would you give him praise right now and worship him for opening up your spiritual eyes? Would you ask the Lord to give you the courage and care to ask people the most important question and get off the surface and go deep? There are spiritually blind people everywhere around us that need us to ask them 
if they believe in the Son of Man. And to explain to them that they can be saved and forgiven. Would you ask God right now to use you? And would you pray for unsafe family and friends, neighbors? Life is short. Maybe you're here today online or here in person and you have not come to faith in Jesus. Would you believe today? Would you place your faith in the one who alone can forgive you and save you of your sins because he died for your sins? And you may say, well, what do I say? Just in the sincerity of your heart, would you call out to the Lord right now? Just use words like these, Lord, I believe. I believe you are God who became man. I believe. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe. I believe you love me and that you can save me. Lord, would you please forgive me of all of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I place my faith in you alone. I can't save myself. Please forgive me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest's new beginnings, visit at harvest.church.